So, good afternoon, Lumpur. Good afternoon. Well, today is uh, Tuesday, the 12th of May, and you've kindly agreed to take some questions that have come from people all over the world. Some of them are sending in questions here. So, the first question pertains to these restrictions and lockdown measures that we need to follow in order to avoid spreading coronavirus to protect ourselves and others and uh, a lot of people find them difficult either just mildly annoying and irritating or are outright rebelling against them do you have any advice around that well it, it's a very unique situation uh, the human civilization has never experienced a pandemic of this sort and there's still a lot to learn, a lot we don't know, how it spreads, there's so many unknown factors uh, involved in it, in just the, the, the name coronavirus or COVID-19 that, uh, you know, we, the governments of various countries feel they must do something to, to try to control it in some way. And people are trying to do the best they can to, to uh, stop the spread of this virus, which has quite already taken thousands of lives. So, you know, the thing is that in mindfulness practices, we're aware of, you know, of restrictions on our freedom. <clears throat> when we feel annoyed or rebellious, <clears throat> You know, we, we're aware that we, this is how we feel. And this awareness is, is what I encourage you to trust, not when you're feeling. <clears throat> because it can just be very egotistical, you know, what right, we can think to ourselves, what right does the government have to tell me what to do and, and uh, prevent me from doing what I want to do? We can have these kind of puerile reactions to to orders from above. That's also grist for the mill, you know, when we <clears throat> observe so many of our emotional habits uh, have, we can trace back to childhood. You know, even myself, you, you know, as you grow old, uh, you can see so many emotional reactions to things trace back to, to early childhood. And, but the awareness of these reactions is the way to not perpetuate them, not to just suppress or, you know, feel, uh, you know, you want to get rid of them, but to observe them, that they are what they are there. They arise and they cease. And you're the awareness, you're the puto, the that the witness to the presence, to the rising, to the sustaining, to the cessation of various emotional habits that arise. And this is a time, as I've implied before, you know, where there are restrictions made and, and in a way that there's never, I've never experienced in my life, you know, having to be confined or quarantine, or, you know, 
advised not to go to public venues or restaurants or uh, even having to close monasteries uh, is, a, you know, for most of us, a first-time experience. We've, we've always had open-door policies in our monasteries that people are welcome and can visit any time. And then suddenly we have to put clothes on the gates and uh, so forth. So that this is, you know, we we're we're adapting to the situation as best we can in order to uh, learn from this pandemic that is affecting us everywhere, every country. There's no safe place to go. There's no country on the planet that that doesn't have this problem. So, so you know, it is unique to the to the time of this time. But it is not an obstacle to enlightenment, to understanding. In that light, um, I was talking with some people the other day, saying how monks actually enjoy the lockdown, whereas lay people tend to find it difficult to cope with. Why is that? Well, monks, you know, our life is a meditative one, so being locked down is is kind of enjoyable. You know, when suddenly you have plenty of time to be alone and not a lot of duties to perform or obligations to meet or journeys to make, you know, for most of the monks, that's that's something uh, that we we can enjoy, even enjoy. But for ordinary people, most people, they've never had to experience being locked down, and uh, you know, the, with this fear, this this fear that resonates in us, the fear of death, fear of contagion and and you know and it's such an unknown factor who has it and who doesn't and can you trust your you know your your partner your wife your husband can you trust you know even your children you know because they they're silent carriers and there's uh, infected carriers and it seems so and there's so much news information rumor about it uh, that, you know, it does create this sense of, of going outside the front door of your house, you're stepping into a realm of fear. And so, you know, when most people live a life of distraction, they go to work, they have a routine, they can watch television, they can eat food anytime they want, they can, uh, you know, drink, have beer and wine and so forth and uh, manage to distract themselves in an ordinary life situation <clears throat> go to the pub go to the nightclub and so and enjoy the the pleasures of sensuality but when you're locked in your home you know you can only you know you 24 7 that means that, uh, you know, there's your whole pattern, your whole lifestyle has been disrupted in a way that 
you had no intention or no plan for it, and you're not prepared for quarantine or isolation or lockdown. These are words that affect only very few people ordinarily, but in uh, present time, it's affecting everybody everywhere. And uh, so, you know, the advantage of meditation is that you, you begin to find a, a stability in yourself, you know, that isn't dependent upon just fulfilling a daily routine and following your habits. Uh, many times you're going, you know, you're, you're observing your habits, you're, you're seeing uh, the ones that aren't beneficial towards yourself or the society you live in, you let go. And so you're, you're not perpetuating bad habits or just distracted mental states by seeking more distraction. But, you know, you begin to awaken to the silence, to the, to the sense of solitude, to peacefulness that is natural to us, to, to consciousness itself. And when we realize this, then there's no need to, to seek endless distractions through looking at things, through listening to music, through going out and, and uh, into the world for sensual pleasures, sensual distractions. So for monks, you know, being quarantined for 14 days uh, is kind of a treat, really. So you talk about how we go out after sense pleasures, distracting ourselves. And uh, so what's the difference between like consciousness as we experience it through the senses and what you refer to as pure consciousness or awareness, or as you just said, the peace and silence inside? Well, consciousness, you know, there's only one consciousness. So. Now this is quite important, actually, to recognize that we exp we tend to experience consciousness through our senses, through going out through the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, through thinking. We're constantly engaged in in consciousness, going out to objects, to the world that we believe is our reality. So, you know, when we're conscious, you know, we're very attached to, to being able to see things, to read, to look at television, to sightsee, to look at pictures and movies and so forth, that, that uh, you know, we see consciousness as sensory uh, enjoyment or sensory uh, disgust or displeasure. Because, you know, as much as we can see beautiful objects with the eyes, we can also see very ugly, unpleasant uh, things through seeing, through hearing, or smelling, tasting, touching, through thinking. You know, we're, we're a thinking creature. Uh, human beings are creatures that think, so that we have language, we, 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 we have names for everything, we, we uh, project our opinions, whether we like something or don't like something, 
whether something is acceptable or unacceptable, we make value judgments. This is all done through thinking. And though sending consciousness out through the senses, you know, we create uh, the illusions of a very separate self that uh, consciousness is, is inside me. It's my consciousness inside my body as your consciousness is contained within your body. That makes two consciousnesses or how many seven and a half billion consciousnesses uh, are there through the increase of population or are dogs and cats and centipedes and scorpions, are they conscious? You know, are they, uh, you know, are they, uh, they have their own consciousness like a scorpion has the consciousness of a scorpion which is contained within his form or a dog has its own consciousness that is contained within the form of a dog is how we tend to uh, create the illusions of the world and in in our relationship to it. But in Dhamma terms, there's only one consciousness and then in terms of the, and so that we're all un, united. This is where unity, equality, freedom exists in the fact that consciousness is, is unitive. It's not divisive, it's not two, where, uh, you know, the thinking mind is, is a divisionary function. So it divides in you and me and, and dogs and scorpions and so that we we you know we give names to different forms that create this sense of division but in kind of wisdom the world of wisdom we're beginning to see that that consciousness is is universal it's one it's it's unitive and uh, then when we experience consciousness through the senses there, that's sensory consciousness, so it's about feeling. Sensory uh, conditions are about, you know, feeling pleasure, pain, uh, feeling happy, unhappy, and so forth. So that this is, you know, the sensory world is, is a divided world of you and me, various opinions and views, political attitudes, prejudices, biases, cultural differences, racial differences, gender differences, all create this sense of division. And and that's where the problems arise in our own personal life and our relationships to our family, to our society, or to the world in general, because each one is, is coming from the conditioned realm of conditioned phenomena, which is, which is in, arises and ceases in consciousness. But once we awaken to pure consciousness, consciousness that isn't divided, then that is silence, that is peace, that is love, beauty. These, these kind of exalted states are, you know, they're perfect already in the, that they, that that's the ultimate reality, but they, the worlds we create, like your own personal sense of self, 
worth is a created value system that, that out of you know, your past, out of the memories of the past, out of how you've been conditioned through your family, through your uh, society, through your culture. So these are conditioned factors, what we think is conditioned. What we feel is, is about sensory experiences. This is a sensory form, the human body is a sensitive form in consciousness rather than consciousness within the form. Consciousness has no form, it has no dimension, it is infinite, it has no boundaries. You can't see it, you can't objectify consciousness and, and hold it up to witness and prove it to a scientist because you are conscious. You know, like you, you, don't, you can't see consciousness or objectify it, but you can know it. So in, in terms of Buddhist terminology, we say Santiti Kodama, apparent here and now. That the Dhamma is, is consciousness here and now. That ultimate reality is consciousness here and now. It's not something in the future or uh, that you imagine or a state that you, you don't have, that you've got to get something you don't have and you awaken to the way things are. So the ultimate awakening is being awake to, to the reality of Santiti Kodama or apparent here and now. It's, it's not, not a mystery, it's not like hidden away, it's so obvious we don't notice it. Like one metaphor for it is like trying to look at your own eyes, you know, like Ajahn Asoko can see my eyes. But I can't see my own eyes. They're so close, so here and now, so intimate, that somebody sitting across the room from me can see something I can't see. But do is it necessary for eyes to see themselves because their whole function is seeing? And consciousness, you know, just to know itself, to see itself, it takes us, you know, the whole attitude of meditation is to let go of what of conditioned phenomena of, of uh, conditions phenomena that that arise and cease and change to awaken to our true through the true ultimate reality to the dhamma through recognition awareness aware of itself is like this you know so it's it's not like it, it's antidico is awakened here and now. It's like this. So it's not something you, you've got to find and get and, and control everything to realize, but awaken. So the whole sense of Buddha, you know, the, the, the word Buddha means awakened consciousness. So this is, you know, this is important to see that Sensory consciousness is one thing, and the five khandhas in the traditional forms of vipassana, you know, the consciousness is impermanent and not self. Uh, so that's sensory consciousness, what, because the eyes are impermanent. If we didn't have eyes, we couldn't be conscious 
of see, there'd be no way to see the world, to name anything in the world. Same with hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. You know, we're born with eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and then, uh, you know, thinking comes later. You know, you're conditioned to think in the language of your parents. And so thinking is, is an acquired condition after birth. The, the senses, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mental states are, you know, what we're born with. They, the physical, the newborn child has, has uh, you know, ideally fully equipped with, with eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body. It has feelings, it's sensory, so when it's hungry, uh, you know, it, it cries, it want, demands food. When it's, uh, this is before it has language to ask politely for milk, it just has a way of letting the mother know that it needs to be fed. And, and so this is, this is not programmed by culture, by society, this is natural. Uh, to the to the human form, but what we acquire after we're born is language, uh, cultural identity, social identity, religious identity. All our identities are, you know, identifying with the body, um, you know, with the gender of the body. Like a newborn baby doesn't think of itself as male or female, but after. You know, we're, we're a few years. We we become aware of the differences between the two genders, and so this is this is acquired knowledge or conditioning. You know, after after we're born. So the the senses are um, sensitive. You know, the the sense realm is all about feeling, happy, sad, beautiful, ugly, good, bad, true and false. And this is the, the realm that we identify with. So it's always in a state of flux and change. It's immutable and, and it's, it's mutable and it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, you know, it, you can't control it to the degree we want to. We have desires to, to have permanent happiness, permanent feelings of love and affection, permanent sense of security. These are imagined states that we create around the conditioning of the mind um, through imagination. You can imagine, uh, you know, being perfectly happy for eternity, but the reality of that ever happening is impossible because happiness that's dependent upon conditions is impermanent. You, you can't sustain it. You can't make it permanent. So, you know, you you realize that that you you have to let go of the world that you created, let go of the separate sense of self, of the of the belief that consciousness is is uh, very personal and uh, inside you when. Changing your view to, we're all inside consciousness. Consciousness is one with everything that arises and ceases in consciousness, including 
the animal realm, insect realm, uh, trees and flowers, consciousness is, you know, is what embraces the totality of existence. And, and you know, as physical entities, we're, we're, we're creating this sense of separation. So we feel, you know, towards nature, uh, that, you know, nature is something over there, that's a, it's a tree, it's a waterfall, it's a mountain, uh, and, and something separate from ourselves, where these forms that we identify with are actually, uh, you know, part of the changing conditions of nature, of the sankaras changing according to the law of karma, what is born must die, what begins must end. But what we take refuge in, what we awaken to, is not sankharas as identities. We see the futility and the absurdity of continually identifying with, with the changing conditions that we experience to recognize consciousness that doesn't change, that is immutable, that is what we can really trust and and and, and also it, it it is the truth of the way things are rather than just some kind of imagined state that that we have to believe in because you can actually see this for yourself In uh, the Buddha's teaching, he talks about the Bhāramis, which are like qualities that one cultivates, develops and perfects in order to be able to realize the truth of this consciousness here and now, and that's immutable, as you say. Can one make a, a determination, just on sort of a an act of determination to develop these qualities and to make this have this realization, say, in this lifetime? Or how does one go about cultivating that? Well, it's skillful to do that. Like the, in Theravada, they have ten Bharamis, and uh, which I can't recite right now. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's all about karma, about Kusla Dhamma, Kusla Dhamma, Apiyakata Dhamma. So, I mean, it's like karma is about sankharas. You know, so as long as, you know, you're, you're living in these temporary forms, in these changing forms, these human forms, then to do good, refrain from doing evil. It's just very good advice. And, and developing Bharamis as a person because the the personality is very much one that that can you know is very changeable, very elusive. You know, we want to know who we really are. You know, what is my true nature? What what am? Where? You know, we you hear these uh, endless complaints about I don't know who I really am. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Uh, what race do I belong to? What gender am I truly? Uh, you know, 
am I a good person or a stupid person? You know, we, we, we have all kinds of doubts about ourselves created through the thinking process. And so in thinking in terms of Burmese is, uh, is a skillful way to think because they're all, you know, developing uh, skillful means uh, to, in, in terms of action and speech to do good, refrain from doing evil, to speak the truth and honestly and, and not lie and deceive or insult or curse or uh, create problems with, with the people we live with, to be, you know, the ideal of the Burmese is something to respect and, and, and aim for in terms of action and speech. But in terms of meditation, you know, it's, it's getting beyond Burmese. It's actually awakening to ultimate reality, which it transcends karma. Because karma has to deal with sankharas, with conditions, with phenomena, where consciousness and awakened enlightenment isn't, isn't a sankhara. It's ultimate reality, and so it, it's not karmic. And as we begin to, you know, investigate the reality of our very being, we begin to notice that we are this awareness, this consciousness. This is this is here and now. It's not something that you develop or or get, uh, you know, through a lot of meditation practice. It's something you you begin to recognize, realize uh, here and now. And so it's not about time. It's not about finding the right place. You don't have to go to a special holy spot to, to realize the true nature, to realize ultimate reality. But it's through this awakening, this witnessing of Sankara's by witnessing them, you know, the insight is to let go of them and, and not, not to destroy them. It's not about annihilating the samsara or the created world or the sensory forms. It's not an annihilation. It's, it's just the relaxation and the reality of letting go, relinquishing, abandoning, relaxing, into ultimate reality, which is here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. It's not like something that demands to be held as a secret, a secret teaching that only a few uh, could possibly understand, but it's to be investigated here and now, leading inward, you know, so you're, you're, you're not seeking distraction or going outward to uh, distract things through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. And you begin to awaken to an inner silence, to a peacefulness that is always present, but we tend to not notice, not see it because we're always looking far away or trying to distract ourselves through hearing or smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. So proper meditation is, is, you know, 
a Brasico to investigate reality here and now, uh, not to try to come up with theories or metaphysical concepts about ultimate reality because it's there's no mystery to it. It's it's here and now, and we're we're you know we're in fully you know if you ask somebody if they're conscious, they have to say yes because. You know, just being alive, being here, being now is consciousness. So it's not not something remote or refined, but something so obvious, so immediate that we tend to, you know, we're conditioned to overlook that by looking for something else or trying to develop conditions that we read about in in books or through other teachers and so forth that we tend to to always be going out towards objects rather than looking inward or witnessing the way it is here and now at this place, this time, this place. It's always wherever we are, wherever is happening, it's always here and it's always now. So the Buddhist teaching is one of, you know, when, you know, we call ultimate reality, Paramatta Satcha uh, Dhamma. It's called by different names in other religions, but it all, you know, the name is not the important thing. The reality of here and now, of awakeness here and now, is what we're encouraging, uh, whatever name. Uh, you know, you're culturally conditioned or religiously conditioned to to name it. It doesn't need a name because it's so present, so perfect that we don't, uh, you know, we we begin to let go of this sense of ourself as a as a vulnerable and separate entity, a human being with flaws and faults and all kinds of emotional problems and conflicted in society with a, a dangerous pandemic just waiting outside your front door to attack you. And, you know, we see everything through thinking about it with fear, with this, and fear is a created state, it's not ultimate reality. So your true refuge is ultimate reality or Dhamma or consciousness that doesn't begin and end, and born, it isn't born and doesn't die. Uh, last question, speaking of death, how does one prepare for death? Well, all I've been saying is a preparation for death. Because <laughs> these bodies are going to die. You know, it's... it's uh, bodies... We know it, don't we? Everybody knows they're going to die. Uh, but it's not polite conversation to <laughs> talk about death. <laughs> because it, it's what we don't really want to admit. You know, we'd like to, you know, we talk about immortality or eternal happiness when we die. You know, people, when they go to heaven or hell or limbo or some imagined state in between, are you reborn? Do you believe in reincarnation? 
<coughs> and these are belief systems about what happens after you, the body dies. You know, nobody knows what happens after the body dies because we're experiencing life within a form. But if we begin to be aware of the nature of sankharas, where that, that, you know, a thought, just a simple thought arises and ceases, it is born and dies, whether you call it begin and arising, ceasing, or birth and death, they all mean the same thing. It has a beginning and an end. And, you know, that's so obviously true. Every thought, you know, that you think comes and goes, and thinking moves very quickly. You know, can you, can you think about something or hold of an image of, uh, of, of a thought for very long? You know, you have to keep repeating like a mantra or a chant, but even then it rises and ceases. So what does it arise and cease into is consciousness. You don't lose consciousness when you stop thinking. It's still fully aware and thinking arises and ceases rather than depending on thinking to feel, to, to search for refuges of safety or eternal life or, or, you know, to question what happens when you die. Lumpur uh, Chah was very much, uh, you know, encouraging us all to, to observe the death that goes on all the time in, in consciousness, in daily life, how things change, how you feel uh, an emotion uh, for a while and then it ceases. You know, so if you're aware of the presence and absence of conditions, like emotions or conditions, you know, love and hate, anger, resentment, jealousy, fear, they, they all, you know, are phenomena, phenomena that arise and cease. You can't sustain them. You know, even though you like to, you know, the idea of permanent love or permanent happiness is, is a beautiful ideal. The, on a sensual level, on a sensory experience level, it, it can't sustain itself. Because even the idea of perfect love and perfect peace, perfect happiness, arise and cease as concepts. So, you know, ultimately, only bodies die, not, you know, and personalities are dying all the time. They're changing according to whether you're being praised you receive accolades, you receive Nobel Peace Prize, you become President of the United States, whatever, <laughs> you know, ultimate success you might have, you know, you can't sustain the happiness that comes from, from accolades or awards, even the very highest ones, because they're conditions, you know, they're perceptions. And these perceptions their nature is to be born and die. When you become aware of the deathless, the silence behind the noise, the silence behind the substratum of silence that ever resonates here and now, then you realize 
only conditions, only what is not self, what what is not self, are conditions, are phenomena that arise and cease. They they born and die. They're they're being born and dying all the time, where. Uh, what doesn't arise and cease, consciousness, here and now, it doesn't ever die. You know, you can't create consciousness through thinking, but you can realize it, recognize it, awareness, they say awareness aware of itself, is awakened consciousness, enlightenment, seeing the truth of the way it is, not through religious conditioning or beliefs, uh, uh, you know, that you acquire from religious groups, but through your own direct experience, through your own insight into the way things are. Thank you, Paul.